Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. John chapter 3 verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Well thank you Judy for reading that passage. Um, hi I'm Andy we've already met briefly but, um, but just to say like, like Pete and everyone here um, if I haven't met you already then I'd love to, um, I'd love to say hello after the service. And um, particularly if anything comes up where you just think, oh, I'm, I, I'm not sure I quite understood what he said there, or I didn't particularly agree with that, or I'd love to know a bit more, then um, I basically, I love questions. So come and grab me, and I'll be very glad to chat with you. Um, well, uh, if, uh, if you'd like to keep either the service sheet in front of you with that passage or a Bible open at John 3, because we're going to look at that together for a few minutes. Uh, Pete's already prayed for us, so uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, have you ever played that game? Uh, if you could have your time again, what would you do differently? If you could have your time again, what would you do differently? 
Now, look, I know for some people that's a game that you, um, you'd pretty much never play because actually you'd look back and say, well, to be honest, if I had my time again, I'd basically do things pretty much exactly how I've done them already. And, you know, if you're sort of under 30, I'd imagine, you know, you still feel like, oh, I'm going to sort myself out. And so maybe that's you, maybe it's not. And there'll be others of us who just look back and think, if I could have my time again, if only how I would do things differently. I was talking uh, to someone this week who was saying, if I could have my life again, um, I would listen to my parents' advice more than I did. And uh, there are some parents in the congregation who were laughing at that. Um, It it might be a big thing, you know, middle of the night at 3 a.m. when you can't sleep, there's something you look back on and you just think, if only, if only. It might be that it's just... Lots of small things in life. There's no one big thing, but you just think, if I could have my time again, I know there are all sorts of things I would do differently. Uh, The poet John Clare summed it up when he said, if life had a second edition, how I would correct the proofs. Well, now, here's the thing that Jesus says in the passage from the Bible we're looking at this evening. Whoever you are, whether you would look back and say, I think I'd do it the same, or, or you look back and say, if only... Jesus says when it comes to God, you must begin again or you'll never make it. You must begin again or you'll never make it, says Jesus. So now, here's Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus would definitely be in the camp of people who says, no regrets, I would do it the same. Uh, He was a big name, and we'll come back to that, but he comes to Jesus at night in verse 1. He wants to know more of Jesus, but he's not quite ready to be identified as one of his followers, so he comes to him at night. And um, just have a look at um, at number 2, verse number 2 with me. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi... We know you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. See, here is a man, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to throw his lot in with Jesus yet, but he has seen, he's seen something of Jesus that's gripped him and made him want to ask more questions. You know, I find um, again and again that there's something in us, isn't there, in our minds, in our hearts, that, that asks, what's it all about in life? Where does God fit into things? And it might be that you're here this evening, and you've seen something of Jesus, and you'd say, I'm not quite ready to throw my lot in with him yet, but I've got questions. And let me say, if that's you, we, we love to have people with questions here at Fullwood Church. There's always a number of people here every Sunday who are just thinking things through, working out what they make of Jesus, just as Nicodemus is. And um, whoever you are, let me say, I hope that you didn't leave your brain with your coat at the door on the way in, because we want people thinking and asking the questions and engaged. And here is Nicodemus, and the topic of conversation is the kingdom of God. Uh, You can see that in Jesus' reply in number three, verse three, the kingdom of God they're talking about. And it sounds like a sort of far off concept, but the kingdom of God is basically a first century way of talking about the world that we long for the world to be. You know, God had um, promised in the Old Testament part of the Bible that he was going to fix the broken world that we live in, that he would deal with trauma and tears and suffering and sickness, that he would deal with inequality and injustice, that he would deal with the things that just make us want to sort of sit there in a pile on the kitchen floor and weep. 
God promised that he would fix those things, and that's what people in the first century were talking about when they talked about the kingdom of God. And so here is Nicodemus. He is a good man, and he's asking about the kingdom of God, about the world we all want. And what Jesus says to him is pretty punchy. Just look at verse 3. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Did you hear that? No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. All right, so let's just be honest about this. The phrase born again probably has the worst PR of any phrase in the English language. I mean, it sounds like something invented by an American president to get more votes out of the Bible Belt. And let me say, if you're from the south of the USA here, you're very welcome this evening. But it sounds that we think we know what Jesus means here, because it sounds like he's saying, become a fanatic. You know, the sort of person who stands a bit too close to you and gives you too much eye contact, corners you at parties. But that is not what Jesus is saying here. And we mustn't let sort of cultural prejudice about Americans or anyone else um, (laughs) deafen us to what Jesus is saying here and blind us to the picture he's painting. Um, I don't know if you like opera, so um, I'm not much of a singer, and if you've stood next to me in church when we're singing, you'll know that, Um, but I always assumed that opera was the sort of thing I couldn't possibly like. Um, And then a few years ago, I I worked with with a woman who was an aspiring opera singer. She's very good. She's actually gone professional now. Um, But um, she basically blew up all of my misconceptions about what opera was all about. I mean, for a start, I thought that to be a professional opera singer, you had to be built like a battleship. You know, sort of hove onto stage, surrounded by all the other smaller ships in the choir. And she was actually quite a petite woman. But when she, when she came onto stage, so I went to see her perform, and when she came onto stage and she opened her mouth, I mean, it was an incredible thing. I mean, I don't know if you've been to see opera, but it is incredible. So now imagine that I went to hear her sing that first time, and I thought to myself, my eyes have been opened to the world of opera. This is the future for me. And so I booked myself an audition down at Glyndebourne. You know, a few vocal warm-ups in the car on the way there, get there for the audition, sing my heart out like a contestant on The X Factor, and then a few days later I receive my letter. Dear Andy, thank you very much for coming to audition at Glyndebourne. I mean, that's nice, isn't it? Um, uh, We regret to inform you that we can't offer you a place in our forthcoming opera, and what's more... If you wanted to pursue a career as a professional opera singer, our only recommendation is that you be born again as someone else. (laughs) They're not telling me to try harder, are they? They're not saying, turn over a new leaf, pull up your socks, become a fanatic about opera. They're saying, Andy Fernley, if you're going to become an opera singer, you need a miracle. You need to start again a new life as someone else. And now here is a good man who comes to Jesus and he says, what would it take to be part of the world we all long for? And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you need a miracle. Not to pull up your socks, not to turn over a new leaf, not to try harder or become a fanatic. You need to be born again as someone else. New life, 
a new beginning, a fresh start. And let me tell you, that was something that made perfect sense to me when I first became a Christian. I'm only 16 years old, but already I was someone who was very much in the category of people who look back on life and say, if only, all too aware of the ways that I'd let myself down, let alone the God who made me. But for Nicodemus, these words would have been a real shock. Because you see, Nicodemus was a good man, a kind, an upright, a moral man. Um, Just look at verse number one with me. Um, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Notice that, he's a Pharisee. And yes, if you grew up in Sunday school, then you you would know that the Pharisees are like the villains who come on stage and you're supposed to boo like a pantomime. But actually in the first century, the Pharisees were the good guys. The Pharisees were a moral and social reform movement. The Pharisees cared about education and poverty and public morality. They were a small number of people trying to do good in their society. And here is Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a good man, and more than that, verse 1, a member of the Jewish ruling council. So now don't think the uh, local council who get your bins taken out. Think the equivalent of the House of Commons. He's a big name, he's got a big platform, and he's someone who's seeking to do good in society. And verse 10, Jesus calls him Israel's teacher. You know, if Nicodemus had been doing a guest lecture down at the university, it would have been packed with people wanting to hear his wisdom. And Jesus says to this man, Nicodemus, you need a miracle, a fresh start. You need to be born again. I think before I became a Christian, I basically thought of the moral universe a bit like the Premier League. Now, now hear me out on this one. Um, The the best people would be sort of up at the top, you know, sort of Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela, people like that. And, And down at the bottom were basically the worst people, sort of Hitler, Stalin, people who worked for the Inland Revenue, um, that sort of, you know, um, and, and, you know, I was sort of hoping that wherever the line is, I guess I would just sort of squeak over it. Now, here is Nicodemus, and he is in the moral Champions League. He is a good man, and if Jesus says to Nicodemus that you must be born again, he must really mean it. Jesus says, Nicodemus, your social action, your performance, the good things you've done, your religious credentials, they're not enough. You need a miracle. And if a good man like Nicodemus needs a miracle then so do we. And friends, so does the kind Buddhist, the gentle Hindu, the moral atheist, and the fine and upstanding Muslim that we know. If Nicodemus needs to be born again, then whatever our social or religious background, Jesus says, you must be born again. And I want to just pick up three questions about the conversation that follows that unpack um, why and how and what. So um, why, why is it that even Nicodemus, even we, must be born again? Why do we need a miracle? Well, notice in verse 4 that Nicodemus sees the implications of what Jesus is saying. Um, How can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Now, Nicodemus sees it. 
You can't go back. There's no climbing back in and starting again from the beginning. Even if there are things I regret, Jesus, what you're talking about is impossible. You can't go back and start all over again. But Jesus' answer cuts right to the heart of the reason why he's saying this. Have a look down at verse five. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to uh, flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You see, Jesus, um, Jesus replies and says, look, Nicodemus, I'm not talking about physical biology. I'm talking about something God does by his spirit, something spiritual that needs to happen. And that, uh, that line, born again of water and the spirit, is a sort of quote from the Old Testament part of the Bible where God promised that he would give people new life and wash their consciences clean. Now, quite often when I talk to people about um, Christianity, uh, they think that it sort of involves being quite unreal somehow. You know, on the one hand, you need to try and be a good person, but on the other hand, you need to close your eyes to all of the hard things and broken things that happen in our world. A lot of people think about Christianity like that, but that couldn't be further from the truth if you read the Bible. Uh, If you don't believe me, um, keep coming along on these Sunday evenings. Uh, We're in the middle section of the book of Genesis at the moment, um, and it's pretty spicy stuff. It's gritty. I mean, it it makes Netflix look like CBeebies. It it is in your face about the reality of the brokenness of our world. See, the thing is that God knows us as we really are. Uh, so often in life, we, um, we go through life wearing masks, don't we? And um, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, because you can't be sort of um, you know, naked, as it were, with everyone. But you know, we meet someone new, and we put on that mask of respectability, or um, we try and be funny or likable, and on goes the mask. And, and sometimes, I guess we can wonder, does anyone really know me? Well, here's what it says just before our passage began. Now, if you've got a Bible open, you'll find it in chapter 2 verse 24, but it's just immediately before what we read. Jesus would not entrust himself to them, that's the crowd, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man because he knew what was in a man. Do you see what John is saying there? Jesus knows you as you really are. And there's something wonderfully comforting about that, isn't there? That there is someone who knows me apart from the masks, but also something deeply challenging. Because it means here is a God who knows everything about me. The things I'm proud of, but also the things I deeply regret. My actions, my thoughts, my words. Jesus knows what is in a person. And the Bible says that the heart of the problem is that we reject God, even good people, even Nicodemus. I don't know if you had that experience when you were younger, that you were in your bedroom and um, uh, you could hear your parents calling you from downstairs and you knew that they wanted something, but (laughs) you didn't really want what they wanted. And so you just um, shut the door and exercised the selective hearing and pretend that you were 
you, you don't know, you can't hear them. And the Bible says again and again as human beings, we treat God like that. Uh, God um, created us and calls us to know him and we just shut the door. And the Bible says that's the heart of our problem because it puts us on a collision course with God. We look at the Premier League of morality and we might think that the sort of people around us are doing okay and maybe I'm doing slightly better than the people around me so I'm basically not a bad person but God knows me as I really am. And he sees me and he knows how I've rejected him and how I've hurt others. And friends, the Bible says that rejecting God like this kills us spiritually. It kills us. And it means that um, you, know, you go down to the university, as I've done this week, and you see people full of life. They're getting on with things. They're flourishing. And yet the Bible says we're like cut flowers. Because when we reject God, it kills us spiritually. It means there's no life in us. And yet God promised a new life, a new start, like being born all over again. And we need it because we've rejected God and died spiritually. So how then is it possible? Well, wonderfully, wonderfully, Jesus tells us how in this conversation, just a little bit further down. Um, have a look at verse 16. Just, just trace the conversation down a little bit further. Verse number 16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I wonder if you knew that the story of the Bible is a love story I don't know um, what genre it goes in the bookstore as, probably spirituality or something like that, but the story of the Bible is a love story. It's about a God who loves people, even though he knows us as we are, he loves us. Well, what kind of love is it? Well, um, I don't know if, like me, you've been following the, um, the, the, the sort of tragic news of the shooting in Florida this week. Um, it's, um, it's horrifying and sad news, um, but there have been just little moments of hope. I wonder if you picked up that, little stories of hope in amongst the, um, the tragedy that happened over there. Uh, one of them was a 35-year-old geography teacher called um, Scott Beagle. Anyone read about Scott Beagle? Um, he, um, uh, he was a geography teacher, taught sort of GCSE age um, students, and as the shooter um, came in and started opening fire, he put himself in the doorway between himself and a room full of students and, and, and literally took a bullet for them and died. And that's the sort of love story that the Bible is. It's the story of heroic kindness by a God who knows us. Because, you see, the Bible says that Jesus willingly stepped down from heaven and went to his death on a cross to die the death that we deserve. Half of John's gospel is devoted to the last week of Jesus' life. And in that last week, on that last day as he died on the cross, 
the justice and judgment of God against the way that we've rejected him fell on Jesus instead of us. He put himself between us and death. He took the record of everything wrong that we've done against God onto himself and paid the price at the cross. I don't know, some of you here have got children. Uh, I told you I've got two little boys. Um, I can't think who I would give uh, one of them for, but God in his love sent his one and only son. The son willingly went and died. Not in some tragedy, not in some tragic attack, but in a moment of heroic love to deal with the justice that we deserve. He died our death. And that is how new life is possible. Because where the record of our guilt and the things we look back on and say, if only, where those are taken away and given to Jesus, well then God's spirit can come and bring life to a person, new life, a miracle. So that's how it's possible. Well, last, last couple of minutes, who is it for? Look again at what Jesus says in verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, here's Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a good man who needs a miracle. And here is the miracle. Good man, bad man, whoever believes in Jesus can have this eternal life that begins now and goes through death, an answer for our spiritual death. But notice that it's the one who believes in him, the one who who trusts him. See, being a Christian, um, it's not like catching chicken pox, you know, that you can get just by being around people who have it. And being a Christian is more like getting married. You know, when you conduct a a wedding, um, uh, which I've um, had the privilege of doing um, a handful of times now, um, you ask um, the couple, um, will you take this person to be your husband or your wife? And they make a decision that that is what they want to do. And being a Christian is like that. It's, um, it, it's not um, something you get just by being around Christians, but something you get by saying, Jesus, I want to believe, probably better trust in you. Um, it, it's saying um, to Jesus, I want your death to be for me so that you died in my place. And I want this new life with you as my king. And that's what it means. It's available to whoever will trust him in that way. And so look, I don't um, know where you stand on Christian things here this evening. If we were going to draw a line straight down the middle of this room from absolute atheist over here to zealous Christian believer over there, and um, I don't know where you would stand on that line. Um, I guess there'll be some here this evening who who are saying, um, I've seen something of Jesus that that I want to know more about, but I've I've just got so many questions. And let me say, if that's you this evening, ask your questions. Please commit yourself to finding answers to those questions because Jesus says, whoever you are, you need a miracle. And he says that he is in the business of miracles. 
And so it's an urgent thing to find answers. Uh, come and grab me afterwards. I love questions. I know that Pete or, or pretty much uh, your friend who brought you, anyone here would love to chat to you further. But, um, but I particularly would. So um, come and say hello. Um, uh, on the other hand, you might be right down the other end. You say, actually, I, um, I, I've been a Christian for a long time. And, um, and, um, and what's here for me in Jesus' words? Well, here, let me just remind you of what, just one little thing to take away. Jesus isn't talking about pulling your socks up or turning a new leaf here, turning over a new leaf here. I know you know that, but here's a reminder for you. Jesus is talking about a new life. And if you said, Jesus, I trust you, I want your death to be for me, I want to live a new life with you as my king, then you have experienced all the evidences there that you have experienced this uh, new life. And there's not more to it than that. It's not a dramatic experience I'm talking about this evening. It's not, um, it's not a case of just um, throwing yourself at things, but if you mess up once, it's over. It's coming to Jesus and asking for that new life. But then, look, it might just be that there's someone somewhere in the middle of that line. I don't know which letter you would like it to be, N or something like that, who, um, you know, you've been thinking about these things for some time. You've heard things, maybe even this week, that have gripped you, but you know you've been putting off actually making a decision that you want to trust Jesus for yourself. And if that's you, can I, can I encourage you? I mean, more than that, really, can I plead with you? Jesus says we must, not we, we might, but we must be born again. And can I encourage you even this evening uh, to, um, to pray a prayer and to make that decision and um, I'm going to lead us in a short prayer now. And, um, and it's very simple. All I'm going to pray, I, you know, I want to warn you ahead of time so you know what I'm going to say. All I'm going to say is, um, Lord God, I would like Jesus' death to be for me, and I want new life with him as my king. Amen. And, uh, and if you agree with that, you can say amen too. Now, I'm just going to lead us in that prayer now. And... Um, And if it's right for you, do join me by saying amen, either sort of quietly in your heart or out loud. So let's pray. Lord God, I want Jesus' death to be for me. And I want this new life with Jesus as my king. Amen. Amen.